Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Good morning, Eastern Shore Baptist Church and friends. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at the church, and we are so delighted that you've tuned in this morning, uh, whether that be through YouTube or Facebook Live. Man, we are just so grateful uh, that you've come into the Lord's presence. And I want to remind you that you are the church. Each and every week I come into this building, and, and I, it's a little bit discouraging at times because it, it's empty uh, relatively. We, we, we have the folks here that, that make the worship service happen, but it, it's not the same uh, It's not the same same as having everybody here. And I have to remind myself that this building is not the church, that you are the church and I am the church and we house the Holy Spirit within us. We are the body of Christ. And so even though we may not be joining together uh, face-to-face personally, we are joined together uh, through the power of the cross this morning. So thank you for being a church. Thank you for tuning in. I want to, uh, to begin this morning uh, before I preach. I'd like to just take a moment and just pray uh, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who we just saw that video about. Why don't you join with me in prayer? Uh, Father God, Lord, I just want to thank you for each person here this morning, a Lord that has joined us uh, in spirit and in heart and in unity Father, we are so uh, grateful uh, to, to be a part of a living, active organism, the body of Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will do great things this morning. Lord, as, as I have talked to so many people this week, the, the constant theme that I get as I, as I speak to them is, is we need hope. We need encouragement. Well, we need connection. And Father, I just pray today that, Lord, our people and anybody else that might be tuning in, that they will feel the hope, the love, the connection, the encouragement that comes through singing songs together, that comes through praying together, that comes through hearing uh, your word spoken aloud, the Father that comes through maybe sitting on the couch with their kids or their grandchildren or their spouse or husband or wife, that, Lord, we will feel connected. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are doing mighty works. I believe that your spirit is moving among men and women in in rich and powerful ways. And so, Father God, we just come before you. We ask for you to fill us with your presence, that you would bestow upon us your peace, and that, God, we would live righteously among the people here on the eastern shore and certainly beyond. Lord, again, thank you for this great church. Thank you for uh, your willingness to allow us to partner with you in ministry and reach the nations for your name. And Lord, we pray this together as a church and as a body of believers. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus himself. Amen. And friends, I, I believe that motives are everything. Motivations are critical. What motivates you this morning? I heard a, a story about an elderly man who was on the beach, and he found a magic lamp. And this elderly man, he began to rub that lamp, and out burst a genie. 
And this genie said, because you have freed me, I will grant you one wish. You can wish whatever you want. You can wish for a million dollars. You can wish for a brand new house or a brand new car. And this man said, no, no, genie. The only thing that I want to wish for today is that my brother would forgive me. I've not spoken to my brother in, in nearly 40 years. We've been angry at one another and we've not spoken. So I wish that my brother would forgive me. And so the genie, he was moved, and he said, absolutely, and he granted the man's request. Uh, a flash of light went around, and, and all of a sudden, the man felt the peace of his brother forgiving him. And the genie asked him, he said, you know, sir, I, I noticed that you're elderly and you're old. Are you dying? Is, is this the one thing that, that you wanted before you died? And the elderly man told the genie, he said, absolutely not. I'm not that old and I'm certainly not dying. But my older brother, he's older than me and he is dying and he's worth $80 million. So you can imagine he wanted him to be forgiven. You know, sometimes what motivates us the best is selfishness, but there's other times where fear is a, a motivating factor as well. Uh, earlier in the school year, I heard a story of a mother who decided that she would put the fear of a speeding ticket into the speeding drivers going by her children's elementary school. And every morning she would park her car out in front of the elementary school and she would, she would take her black hair dryer and she would shoot it out the window of her car. And those speeding drivers thought that she was a police officer. They assumed that her black hair dryer was a radar detector. And of course, they were afraid of receiving a ticket. And so naturally, they slowed down. The effect was dramatic as the drivers slowed down, fearing that they may receive a speeding ticket at any moment. Well, friends, let me ask you, what motivates you? What motivates you? There's three answers, I believe, that we could come up with this morning. Could it be praise? Are you motivated by praise? I'll be, uh, be very honest with you. My, my wife knows me well. She's here this morning. She's saying, uh, leading us in worship today, and she knows that I live for praise. I, I like it when people pat me on the back. I like it when people encourage me. I, I feel like I can get more done if people just praise me. And of course, that also makes me, sadly, a people pleaser. Oh my goodness, one of the things that I hate more in life is when I feel like I'm not uh, pleasing other folks. And yet we all know that we can't please people and please the Lord all at the same time. Many times those things run conversely against one another. But are you motivated for praise? Do you live for praise? Or perhaps this morning, do you live for pleasure? Are you motivated by pleasure? Do, do, you, do you structure your whole week around maybe getting on that boat, getting out on the lake, or, or maybe getting out in the bay? Do you structure your whole week around hunting or, or, or maybe some other type of recreational activity? Your whole motivation for working hard during the week is just so that you can receive pleasure when you're finally not working. Or, or friends, maybe it's last. Maybe it's this last point. Maybe your motivation is pursuing God's presence in your life. Maybe you wake up every morning and you pray to the Lord, Lord, now that my feet have hit the ground, may the devil's feet begin to run. Maybe your whole motivation is prayer, is pursuing God, is reading his word, is growing a relationship with him, and everything else comes after your walk with the Lord. 
Friends, this morning we are going to be looking at the Pharisees. We're going to be talking about what motivated them. If you will, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 17 this morning. I do want to cover with you some basic context and background. Jesus, his eyes are beginning to focus wholeheartedly on Jerusalem. He is heading towards his last few weeks and months of ministry. Jesus is preparing himself for the cross, the crucifixion, and as closer he gets to the cross, he encounters his enemies. He encounters his adversaries, the Pharisees. And these Pharisees, they are greedy men. They are motivated not by having a relationship with God. They are rather motivated by their own personal power. They're they're upholding of their own prestige. They're motivated by their money. And of course, we live in a culture that idolizes these things. And so the Pharisees are just living out the principles of what we deal with every single day here in American society. And so Jesus, as he is moving closer and closer to Jerusalem, closer and closer uh, to his crucifixion, he encounters these Pharisees. And Jesus begins teaching. He begins to illustrate to the Pharisees where they are coming up short in their relationship with God. And he gives a parable to the Pharisees, but then he gives the explanation of the parable to his beloved disciples. And so this morning, we are going to see the motivation of the Pharisees. Jesus illustrates it very powerfully in Luke 16, verses 14 through 17. Now, I'm reading from a different translation this morning. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I just like the way that it read best, and so I thought maybe we would read it together. Again, Luke 16, verses 14 through 17. The Pharisees, listen to what it says. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and scoffed at him. Now, the him there is being Jesus. Can you imagine scoffing at Jesus? Can you imagine being in the Almighty's presence, looking at him, laughing at him, mocking him? Oh, what a terrible thing to do. And yet that's what the Pharisees did. They heard all of the teachings of Christ. They heard all of his careful directions and designations. And instead of responding in faith and instead of responding with respect, they made fun of Christ. They scoffed at him, mocked at him. In verse 15, then he said to him, You appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. You might even write in there, God not only knows your hearts, what Jesus is saying is God knows what ultimately motivates you. He knows, Pharisees, what ultimately drives you. He knows what you are all about. He knows the first thought that that comes into your head in the morning. He knows you better than you know yourself. You appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. In verse 16, until John the Baptist, the law of Moses, and the uh, the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is eager to get in. But that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. 
Now, Jesus addresses the law. We're going to come back to that in the very last point. Jesus up, uh, upheld the law. He wanted to make sure that he was following the law, and he kept it perfectly. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. Now, this morning, I want to give us four points. In this text, we discover God's four things. We discover God's Roman number one. We discover his adversaries. We discover Christ's adversaries. In verse 14, the Pharisees. Those were the enemies of Jesus Christ. They were the adversaries to God. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of this and scoffed at him. Now what's really fascinating is when you go back to the original Greek and you read it for how it was written, when it says who dearly loved their money, what they're actually saying is is that the money was the top priority for these Pharisees. Now in public, these Pharisees looked righteous. In public, they looked pious. In public, it looked like the most the, the, the greatest priority for them was their walk and their relationship with God. But God knew something else about them. And friends, there are enemies of God even today. Now, there are men and women that stand against God's progress here made on earth. And understand that these Pharisees, they were God's adversaries because they were standing in the way of Christ. They were standing in the way of Christ's message being preached throughout all of the villages, throughout all of the nations. They were standing in the way of Jesus Christ making disciples and bringing men and women into the kingdom of God. Oh, friend, may it never be said about you or I that we would ever be adversaries of God. Can you imagine standing in the Lord's presence, hearing his holy words being taught to you, being delivered in a righteous manner, and yet as as we listen to these words that we would make fun of Jesus, that we would make light of Christ, that that we would somehow mock him as we are adjusting him. Oh, my goodness, what a terrible thing. Well, the Pharisees, they loved their money. They heard all of his teachings and they scoffed at him. And yet today we live in a culture where Jesus' teachings have never been more widely available and accessible. You can go just about anywhere and you can run into a church. You can go to any bookstore, secular or otherwise, and you can find a Bible. You can go into a hotel room, open up a nightstand drawer, and you're going to find a Bible probably placed there by a Gideon. God's Word, His teachings have never been more accessible than ever before. You have God's Word, chances are, on your phones, on your tablets. You, you've got them even on your watches. And yet many times our culture, is, as we are confronted by God's Word, we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear toward it. And friend, you may not be laughing at God, But do you know that we scoff at Jesus when we know his word and we refuse to be obedient to it? We make light of his teachings when we have have internally heard the word of Christ being preached to us. We know the difference between right and wrong. We know that we're supposed to be obedient to a certain degree. And yet when we hear his words and we're not obedient, we have acted like the Pharisees. We have scoffed at him. Oh, the Bible is very clear that we are to stand with God and not against God. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Not to stand against Jesus, but to stand firm against the devil himself. 
Again, in a verse later, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand on your guard. And after you've done everything, to stand. Again, standing on guard, standing with God, not standing against him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And lastly, James 4, verse 4, James says, You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an adversary, an enemy of God himself. Well, friends, may we never be caught in the same numbers of the Pharisees. May it never be written about us that we loved anything else above our relationship with God or that we pursued anything greater than him. So in this text, we discover God's adversaries, his enemies, and those enemies abound even today. But we also discover God's abilities In this text, we discover Jesus' abilities. Listen to what it says in verse 15. Then he said to them, Jesus, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Friends, yes, God knows your heart. There is absolutely no doubt about it that God knows your heart intensely, that he knows it intimately. He understands it completely. And the reason that God knows your heart so well is because God himself has fashioned it. He has made it. And we discover that in Psalm 33, verse 15. Not to mention, he knows everything about everything. Did you believe that? Do you know that? God knows everything about everything. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows everything that you've ever done. He knows everything that you've ever thought, everything that you've ever spoken, everything that you've ever contemplated, everything that you will do, everything that you'll speak, think, or ever will contemplate in the future. God knows everything about me. He knows everything about you. And do you know he also knows your secrets? The things that maybe I could never know or the things you would never want people at church to find out about, God knows every secret that you've ever hidden. He knows about those horrid and despicable things that come across your mind at various times. He knows about all of those. He he knows about that part of your being, your mind, your will, your intellect, your conscience, your thinking, your emotions, your actions, your motives. He knows all of those things that happen in the inward part that you've concealed, maybe from human sight. Those things lay unconcealed in God's sight. Your heart, my heart, we are laid bare before the Lord. He knows everything about us. He can see into the deepest parts of our hearts and no matter how we try to cover it up, no matter how we try to conceal our deeds, our thoughts, our, our speech, no matter how we try to hide it, God always sees it. Isn't it interesting here in Luke chapter 16 that Jesus knew exactly how to pinpoint perfectly what the Pharisees were thinking, what they were motivated by. It wasn't out of love. It was their love for money. 
And brothers and sisters, I want to remind you this morning that you and I have a heart condition. It's the same heart condition, by the way, that the Pharisees had. And that heart condition is sin. And that sin has infected our hearts. It, it, it has hurt us. It has created heart damage. And there is only one way to heal it. And of course, that healer is Jesus Christ. If you were honest with yourself this morning, would you be able to admit that if God were looking into your heart, that he would see a sinful heart in need of a Savior? Or has your heart already been transformed? Have you received a heart transplant this morning that you so desperately needed? Well, I'm so thankful today. I have received a heart transplant many, many years ago. But it's never too late, perhaps this morning, perhaps even now, you would admit, God, if you were to look at my heart today, you would see more of a pharisaical heart than a heart that is prioritized for you. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10, listen to what Jeremiah says. God's word, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of of his deeds. Not only does he see our hearts, but he also is witness to our very thoughts. And that can be a very scary thing. Oh my goodness. In this text, we see that God has enemies. We see that Jesus has the ability to see directly into our hearts. He can see, uh, he has wonderful abilities of knowing our minds. But then look at Roman numeral three. We also discover God's aspirations. We discover what motivates God. And we see this illustrated in verse 16. Now listen to what Listen to what Luke captures Jesus saying. He says, until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is eager to get in. Well, friends, what Jesus is saying is, is, is this. He's saying, you know what? For many, many years, your roadmap has been John the Baptist." For many, many years, it's been the prophets. And now I am delivering to you a new roadmap. It's a roadmap that's been paved by grace, and it's the good news. It's the gospel. Did you know, by the way, what the word gospel actually means? Gospel actually means good news. And the reason why it's good is because it's for everybody. Anybody has access to the gospel. There's not one person that God made on planet earth that he did not intend to receive the gospel. Everybody has access to it. God wants everybody to say yes to it. And he's building a mansion for you and for me right now in glory, preparing a way for us to join him. Well, friends, God has placed within us a desire for immortality. In Ecclesiastes chapter 311, the Bible says that God has put eternity into our hearts. Have you ever wondered, by the way, have you ever wondered how can we know that God wants everyone to go to heaven? How can we know that? Well, I, I believe that Scripture tells us that. Again, if you go to Ecclesiastes, you'll see that God has placed within every single one of us this desire to live forever. Every single person who's ever been born has always wanted to live beyond their physical life. That's me, that's you, that's every child, that's every man, boy, and woman. Everyone has wanted to live beyond their mortal days. And I believe that God has installed that purposefully into our souls. 
God wants us to live for eternity with him. And we have this desire, we have an aching in our heart to be with him forever. And I would say perhaps the greatest evidence that God wants all people to be saved is seen in the fact that he has given up his only begotten son for our redemption. The Apostle Paul stated, For he, God, hath made him, that being Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made righteous of the righteousness of God in him. That comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The greatest evidence that God wants all people to be saved is that he gave up his son. Oh my goodness, I have met many people who have said, oh no, what, what God has done, God has, has a small elect few that, that those are going to be his saved, those are going to be his elect, those are the ones that will go to heaven, and yet I always come back to the brutal, horrible, beating death of Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Jesus have to die such a horrible, painful, excruciating death if he was only dying for a portion of the world? As I read my scripture, I see Jesus lay everything on the table. I see Jesus give everything that he ever was, ever could be, ever would be. I see him laying his entire creation, his entire deity on the table to be murdered and killed and executed. Not so a handful of people might go to heaven, but so that all people would eventually be able to have the right to go to heaven if they chose to do it. My children, we love to to go to the beach. My wife and, and I, we've been missing actually going to the beach. And, and I can remember as my children were younger, they would, they would get out on the beach and they would, they would make these sand castles and they would build these sand structures. And, and not one second had they just finished their perfect creation, at least perfect in their mind. Not one second after they had finished their perfect creation, then they would run and they would kick it down and they would destroy it. Well, friend, I believe that God is somehow better than a kid with a sandcastle because I believe that you were created in God's image. I, I believe that the scripture testifies to that, that within all of us, God is placed with a desire to live uh, in an eternal fashion and that he's given us a path and he's given us his son. God did not create you just to destroy you. He didn't create you just to knock you down. I believe God created you because he wanted to spend eternity with you forever. A loving God doesn't want anyone to be cast into a fiery torment for all eternity. However, a just God has no alternative but to judge the unrepentant sinner. Many years ago, I had a, a young boy and we were at vacation Bible school and he said, Pastor, I don't understand if God loves us so much, then why did he create a hell? Why does God send people there? Well, I had to explain to him that God did not create hell for me or for you. He created hell for the devil. He created hell for, for demons and demonic forces. And yet, by our denial of God's authority on our life, we choose to send ourselves there. When we say we will no longer be obedient to his authority over us, when we do not recognize God's love for us, and we turn our back on him, we send ourselves to hell. God doesn't do that. God wants us to be with him forever. It is his great aspiration. It is his ultimate desire that we would be with him. 
in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the, the author of Hebrews says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Isn't it wonderful to know that God has given us every opportunity that time and time again, he continues to interrupt our very lives so that we may have the chance, the opportunity to say yes to him. How do we know that God wants you to be in eternity with him? Because God gave his very best so that we could be there with him, his son, Jesus Christ. So in this text, we discover God's enemies. We see that Jesus has the ability to see our heart and our mind. We see his very goal is that all people might know him. And lastly, we see, we discover God's attention, his attention in verse 17. But that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. It's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. Have you, ever, um, have you ever noticed how prone you are to excusing yourself? And we excuse ourselves, but many times we blame others. And, and by the way, this, uh, this happens mostly when, I, when I'm driving. I, I tend to excuse myself, but I always seem to blame others. That driver who whizzed past me is a maniac, and yet the granny in front of me is holding up traffic by her slow driving. She is a road hazard, but as far as me, I am a perfect driver. Everybody else is a terrible driver except for me, the guy who spends less than I do is a tightwad. And the guy who spends more than me, well, that guy is clearly irresponsible. But me, when I look at myself, I am a careful manager of what the Lord has given to me. I am a great steward. And yet we chuckle at these examples, but if we go through life justifying ourselves and blaming others, the day will come when we won't be laughing. We'll be standing before God and all of our excuses are going to evaporate and our mouths will be closed and we will hear the sovereign judge say, guilty as charged. Friends, you and I, we are all guilty. We have made ourselves the measuring stick. Have you ever done that, by the way? Have you judged yourself by yourself? I know that I am guilty of that. I judge myself by myself, and yet God has given us a different measuring stick. It is wrong and sinful to judge myself against myself. It's also wrong and sinful for me to judge myself against you and you against me. What God has given to us is a proper measuring stick, and that measuring stick is called the law. The law is the measuring stick in which we grade ourselves against perfection, God says there is a better way, a truer way to, to measure the righteousness of humanity, and that measurement is the law. Jesus tells us in Matthew 22, uh, verses 37 through 40, that the entire law rests on two of the great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And friends, this is the great and foremost commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend the whole law and all of the prophets. And friends, who can possibly claim 
to have ever come close to keeping the first of the greatest commandment. Have you from your earliest memory always loved God completely with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, every day, all day long? This would mean that you would have always obeyed him because if you don't obey him, you don't love him. It would mean that he has always been the center of your waking thoughts. His will has been at the center of every decision that you've ever made. Everything that you've ever thought, everything that you've said or done has always run through the filter of your love for God. You love God and his word more than food more than medicine, more than relationships. And who in their right mind would be able to say that they have loved God perfectly? And by the way, we don't fare any better on the second of the great commandments, to love your neighbor as much as we, in fact, love ourselves. Did you always gladly share your toys as a toddler? Did you ever do that? Did you always share your toys when you were a baby? Did you always gladly share your toys in school? Did you always put others ahead of yourself? Have you given generously and sacrificially to help the needy? Have you always put your your friend's needs ahead of your own or your spouse's needs ahead of your own? Have you always treated your children with love and kindness even when they were disobedient at work? Have you always been fair? Have you always been just? Of course not. None of us have. We have all failed. And see, friends, it's important that we don't measure ourselves against one another. It's really important that we don't measure ourselves against ourselves. Rather, God has given us the law to point sin out, but you are not saved by law. Because if you were saved by law, no one would be saved. Jesus came, lived the law perfectly. He sacrificed himself prophetically. And because of he did those things, we now can live in Christ's presence eternally. Oh, friends, our measuring stick, we don't have any longer because Jesus has measured up for us. In Romans chapter 7, verse 7, What then shall we say? That the law is sin, but by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. God gave us this attention. He gave us the law so that we could know sin, so that we could have a need for a Savior. Brothers and sisters, do you need a Savior today? Do you have a heart condition? Would you like a heart transplant this morning? Let's pray about it. Would you bow your heads? And this morning, if you would be honest with yourself and say, Lord, I have been apart from you. I do not know you. If I were to die right now, I do not know where I would go. Then pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. No better than a Pharisee. I have been an enemy. I I didn't knowingly stand against you. But Lord, now I know that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. You have given your very best to allow me to live in eternity with you. Lord, I believe the words of John 3.16, that God gave his Son so that I could have everlasting life. I believe that you are alive today, and I invite you to live in me now. Lord Jesus, I cry out to you 
and I commit my life to you today. I want to obey you. No longer do I want to to be the measuring stick of my own life or try to compare myself to someone else. Lord, I am a failure, but with you, I am a victor. Lord, step into my life and save me. Brothers and sisters, if you prayed that prayer, do me a favor. Text me on Facebook. Email me. Send me something letting me know that that you have embraced Christ so that I can contact you and so that I can help you. But I do want to pray for the rest of you that are at home today. And let me do that. Lord, I pray your spirit of encouragement over our people this morning. Lord, I pray that they will feel your presence, that they will feel your love, that, Lord, your scripture has spoken to them today, that you've provided for them a a, a measure of hope, and that, Lord, you will give them abundant joy. Lord, today we praise you for all the mighty works of your hands. Lord, we thank you for how you've loved us and cared for us. And, Lord, today we know that you will be faithful to us. Lord, we know that you will sustain us in these dark days and during these dark hours. Lord, we know that the light of Christ shines forth. Lord, bless us now as we conclude today's worship service with a song and with announcements. And may as we go into this public, as we take the message of the gospel to the eastern shore beyond, Lord, help others receive it as their saving grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.